Hi, and welcome to the Mental Health Crossroads podcast, where we explore the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. This is part two of our interview with Margaret Gilbride from the Bog Center. She talks about grief and loss in individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Part one of her interview is available wherever you get your podcast if you'd like to listen to that first. We hope you enjoyed the second part of our conversation with Margaret. How can grief and loss affect different areas of life? Loss affects absolutely any area of our lives, whether we have a disability or not. Um, Just naturally moving through life, we experience multiple losses, um, good losses, bad losses, big losses, small losses. Um, We experience them individually. We experience loss of um, as we age, of our own health, of our own mobility. There's there's lots of ways we experience loss through life, whether we have a disability um, or not. Those losses, they do do carry with them um, grief. They They do sometimes inspire us to have natural grief reactions, such as those um, that I mentioned earlier, the ones including anger and confusion and sadness and um, physical distress and regression and guilt. Um, Many of us have the wouldas, the couldas, the shouldas um, for relationships that have changed and moved on or for people who have changed and moved on totally out of our lives through death. So it's impossible, I think, to just say in this period of life, um, somebody will not experience loss or grief. I think the secret is for us to talk about it more, to acknowledge it more, to, um, to use teaching moments for anyone um, and all of our children, people with disabilities, kids with disabilities, it's, it's the art of having goldfish and recognizing that when the goldfish dies, it doesn't come back. Um, a lot of people think that if you have an intellectual or developmental disability, you can't understand death, for instance. Well, there's really only two elements to understanding death. One something or someone that was working, that was functional, that was alive, isn't anymore, isn't functional, isn't alive, isn't working. The body doesn't work anymore, just like a broken watch or a broken mug or glass. It it can't be put back together. It's not going to work. That is the one concept, something's broken and can't be fixed. And the second concept is that it's forever, that it's not gonna change. Those are two hard things for some people to understand, but I've never met anybody who was too intellectually or, or cognitively compromised to be helped to understand those two concepts. Um, Sometimes we think people aren't going to understand or 
we think we're doing them a favor by not um, telling them of somebody's death or of a, a change that's going to happen that's out of their control. But people always prefer to have information, whether they have a disability or they don't have a disability. What are, so you talked about how it can affect someone with their employment. Have you seen other situations where it's affecting other parts of their life, such as like maybe their school life or their social personal life? Um, yes, people have lost um, residential placements because of what was perceived as um, behavioral issues. Let me let me talk about one gentleman who almost lost his residential setting. Um, he was a gentleman that was really well liked by everybody. Never had um, met anybody who he didn't get along with. Um, he was held in high regard. He he was a gentleman that was positive, happy-go-lucky, yada yada yada. Um, but what happened is. He, he became, uh, uh, the way staff described it, uh, residential staff, was he became surly and negative and nothing was good enough. And he criticized everybody and everything. And it was constant, uh, like truly, it became absolutely constant. And um, it got to the point where nothing staff, his, his housemates, Anybody at work, anybody at employment, uh, at the day services, anybody at the Y, nothing anybody did was was good enough. The guy just was impossible, and people were like, "Well, if he's this unhappy, um, let's just we need to find another residential provider." And they had actually talked to the support coordinator. They were getting everything in motion to make that happen, and. Um, and as it turned out, the guy's birthday was in fact coming and everybody decided um, they were gonna do what they always do for everybody, sing happy birthday, carry out the cake, do all that for this gentleman. And they carried out the cake, everybody sang, he took one look at the cake and he became instantly angry and he yelled about it he he threw he actually knocked the plate um the cake went flying uh, the table went flying and he yelled at the top of his voice that's not right nothing has been right nothing 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 has been right since my mom died and then he just broke down sobbing he had not cried in months and months and months, he had not talked about his mother in months and months and months. He was the gentleman whose mom always made Boston cream pie instead of a birthday cake. When he saw the cake, it was the last straw. His, he didn't have the words to tell people what he was feeling. So it was coming out in his surliness and his anger and his negativity. One study has recently showed is that in 77% of the instances where a person with an intellectual or developmental disability suddenly changed in their personality and in their behaviors, had a marked significant change in 77%
of the instances. They had experienced the death of a significant loved one within 16 months prior. Um, this gentleman, he had gone to the funeral for his mom. He, he was involved. He did know she was deceased. But after everything, essentially the ritual was over, he didn't have a vehicle to talk about, to process, to all those emotions and what he was feeling about the loss of his mom. After this incident with the birthday cake and the sobbing and staff realizing what the situation was, he was able to get some grief counseling. They hung a picture, um, more pictures of his mom. Initially, the pictures were causing him to cry. So they didn't have out a lot of pictures and mementos. But what oftentimes happens with many of us is the very things that initially make it harder to process our loss are the very things that bring us comfort a little later. So for this gentleman um, to bring out some of the pictures of his mom and he and um, doing the things that they love to do together and setting up a little uh, spot in his room where that could be, it really helped him talk, process, and move, move through that grief. But that was a gentleman that almost lost his residential setting. I've had people, um, when staff or family did talk to them, out of kindness, they used euphemisms or nice expressions. We need to be very careful when we're talking with a number of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities that we use very concrete and precise language. So, for instance, um, the gentleman that almost got kicked out of school, he was doing absolutely everything he knew he wasn't supposed to do. All of a sudden, he's pulling fire alarms. He is um, knocking people over in the hallway. He's stealing things out of um, the faculty room. Now, he was, by this time, he was about 20. Yeah, he was just in his last year of high school um, eligibility. And he'd never done any of these things before. And, and the school was beside themselves. He was about to get suspended. And then it dawned on, on I don't even remember to be honest um, who it dawned on, but what had happened was this young man's sister had died. Um, but what had happened was in their faith tradition, it, they believe in, in um, a heaven and they talk about angels. And what, what was explained to this young man was that his sister was so good. She was so good that this, she was too good for this world. And Jesus wanted her with him because of her goodness. And that, that was supposed to bring comfort and for the people in the family who had that health tradition, who, who um, that faith tradition, who understood that, it did bring comfort to them. But what this young man heard was, if you're really good, Jesus is going to want you. So he did everything he could think of to be bad so that Jesus wouldn't want him. So one of the things we do need to be careful of that do lead to um, sometimes behavioral communication that we see as a negative adjustment, which is actually 
really good communication. It's the direct result of, of using, if you will, bad language. Things like grandma didn't suffer, she went to sleep and she didn't wake up. I've seen that lead to people refusing to go to bed, doing anything to stay awake because they think that that will cause their death. When we use language, when we're talking to people, we wanna use concrete words. We want to avoid euphemisms, even to say that somebody has passed instead of saying somebody has died, um, it doesn't work. If we say somebody went to heaven, sometimes people believe that's like saying, Judy went to Cincinnati. What's the difference between Cincinnati and heaven? Um, they assume that if somebody went there, they're coming back. So we, we do need to watch our language because it does lead to people not understanding. People can't voice their lack of understanding. So that gets translated into what we call behaviors. Those behaviors translate into job losses, residential losses, school losses, suspensions, across the board. So I have a question that's a little bit vague, though, and maybe it sounds like depending on the individual and how it happened, there's a lot of factors that, you know, maybe some people respond to some forms of support better than others. But just in general, if someone is listening to this and they are wondering, you know, how and when should I, you know, start preparing? Like if someone's about to experience a loss and there's going to be changes in supports and routines. Do you have any sort of general recommendations or things for them to keep in mind? Um, what's most important is to know the, the individual him or herself that you support and what works or what doesn't work <laughs> in terms of, um, we all know some people that anticipation is hard because they don't necessarily have a good grasp on time. So if we say this is gonna happen in the future, the future is too ambiguous, it's too abstract a concept. We can begin with TV shows, with earliest um, recognitions of, of people who are ill or people who are dying or of losses, or if you know somebody's um, going to be graduating or going to be doing this um, or going to be experiencing any kind of loss, you can, be with the person, anticipate it, prepare them. Um, we use social stories, uh, talk about uh, other people who go through change, be there to support the person. It, you have to know the individual, him or herself, and what the change is going to be. But for instance, um, a lot of people get that 15% that are left out of, let's say, wakes or funerals or whatever acknowledgement ritual that a family has, um, one of the reasons given is that the family doesn't think the person will have the supports they need because the family members themselves who are in grief can't trust themselves to be fully present. But we as providers of service, that shouldn't be a fear, a, a, a fear that family have. We should be able to learn what the ritual is gonna be, what is gonna be expected, walk the individual we support through it, prepare them, support them and be there. It's really, um, it's really not more complicated than that. Some of the resources 
that um, I can share with you later or tell you about later um, that people can access. There's a number of things that, that can help unlock what's being communicated by some behaviors. Um, they're at least worth a try if they are grief related. I was going to ask you about the resources. Like if just off the top of your head, there's like maybe a couple that you would recommend for someone experiencing grief and loss, what would those be? Well, um, my shameless plug <laughs> would be, um, I work at, at the Bog Center and there are um, four things that I have on there that are good resources, but one of them is actually a resource about resources. So if you don't want to go to the resource about resources, there's a book by Mark Markell that I highly recommend that's called Helping People with Developmental Disabilities Mourn, Practical Rituals for Caregivers. There are a number of resources and, and books, um, but if you do go to the Bog Center website, the one that I'm referring to is called Resources, Intellectual Developmental Disabilities and Grief death and dying. That resource page, that resource uh, guide also has a section on it on resources specific to planning for the death of a person with disabilities or the death of someone a person with disability loves. There's um, a resource there called Responding to Grief Reactions of People with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. I think that would be most helpful to a number of folks listening to this because it's essentially two columns. And on the left is the situation or the behavioral communication, the grief drama that you might be observing. And then to the right of each of those are strategies to assist the person in processing um, whatever might be leading to that. There's um, a handout called Ritualizing Grief with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. It tells you how to plan a ritual, it gives you suggestions on um, symbolic items or gestures, objects that you can use in ritual that really help um, people with IDD in their expression. And then there's just a simple um, handout for helping people process grief. You need almost different, based on a person's age, based on their experience, based on um, their loss history, different tools will be needed at different times, if that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Um, that was awesome. Thanks for listing those. We'll see if we can put some of them in the show notes. Uh, my very last question for you is, if someone's interested in working in this topic area, but they're not sure where to start, what would your advice be to them and how can they learn more? Um, there's always tons and tons and tons and tons of resources. I know to go for general, Death Education, it's called ADEC, the Association of Death Educators and Counselors. They have, um, a, they're the ones that typically certify people in death education um, as a certifying body, but there's also a number of schools and colleges that you can approach. There's um, hospice uh, of the United States or hospice in your state. Um, they have great educational programs and um, they'll, they have lots of resources. There's a, um, an association called Good Grief that is filled with resources. Whatever your faith tradition might be, 
there's often um, grief and loss groups specific to somebody's faith tradition. Um, they might be able to guide you as well if this was an area you wanted to get involved in. But um, hospital chaplaincy, the, there are two national organizations, um, the, but there's also hospital chaplaincy or um, pastoral, um, you work with people in hospice or palliative care oftentimes. Some, some folks go through their faith tradition for that. Other for, I, I did not do that. I went through hospital chaplaincy um, because it was non-denominational. Essentially, you work in a hospital, you work with families, you, you learn about all the different faith traditions and non-faith traditions because um, assisting people in grief and loss, you, there are ways to assist people if they do not have a faith tra tradition or um, that are just as important to exercise. So those are some resources that people could explore. If, if they're at a university setting, there's a number of um, USAID's university centers for excellence on um, disabilities. Every state has to have one. I happen to work at New Jersey's, but um, very often the USAID's could direct you to, um, they have a special interest group on aging that includes um, grief and loss. Thanks, those are great points and directions to point people and to learn more about it. I've really appreciated talking with you today. Is there anything that you wanted to add before we finish? I would just like to say that for people to build an awareness that they're in very powerful positions to support people through multiple experiences of loss, to acknowledge the significance of losses in their lives is huge. To be willing to be a compassionate person who sits with people in their pain. Um, if we could get more folks like that in the field, out of the field, who will sit with people and assist them, listen to them as they process their pain. And however that looks, it would go a long way in healing folks with and without labels. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mental Health Crossroads podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the resources mentioned by Margaret in this episode are linked in the show notes. You can also find more resources and trainings at mhtdcenter.org, and you can follow us on social media at mhtdcenter. Thanks for listening.